The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. What's up, Clipper Nation and Hoop Ball Nation? This is a Hoop Ball fantasy presentation. It's the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus here. Glad to have you along here on this Wednesday. I believe it's Wednesday. Boy, the weeks are going very, very slow, and the days are going by very slow as we wait for the preseason to start and then finally the regular season to start on October 22nd. On today's podcast, we're going to have Adam Osland of AM570. He is the pregame, halftime, and postgame show host. You also hear him on the FNA podcast and on AM570 throughout the entire year. He'll give us a nice insight into the team. He'll talk to us a little bit about Andre Iguodala because we're seeing a lot of stuff on Twitter that Iggy could become a Clipper this month. Apparently, Doc Rivers liked a post on Instagram, I believe it was, that said that Andre Iguodala is going to become a Clipper. Not entirely sure why Doc Rivers is busy liking posts on Instagram. Didn't realize Doc was that kind of guy, but I guess he is. He's hip. He's joining with the Millennials and all the other generations that are on that Instagram, as am I, of course. Um, at BDMarcus2, I believe, is that uh, Instagram handle. The Twitter handle is at BDMarcus. It's at HoopBallClips and at HoopBallFantasy. So that pretty much covers all the social media. A big thank you, of course, before we get to Adam, to Isaac Lederock for the cool beats to get us into this podcast. Big thank you to him. So, we're going to have Adam Osland on today's show. Hope you enjoy it. And uh, without further ado, here's Adam. All right, let's bring this guy in. He is someone you hear on the airwaves throughout the entire Clippers season, even not during the Clippers season. He, you can follow him on Twitter, at followAdama. He is the FNA Show co-host. That is at FNA Show, in case you want to follow that. And, uh, of course, you hear him during the pre-, halftime-, and post-game show during Clippers broadcast with Brian Seaman, he is Adam Oslin. Adam, what is up? And thank you for joining the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Brandon, good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. So what's the deal with Iggy, man? I mean, what do you think? Because we're now looking all over Twitter and we're seeing Doc Rivers like Instagram pictures. First of all, I didn't realize that he was a big Instagram fan. And then now we're hearing through different Twitter sources that maybe he's signing this month or maybe he's coming to the Clippers this month via trade. I, what do you think? Because personally, I've been having people on throughout this entire summer, and it never really made sense to me to have Igudala join the team with them needing more of a point guard backup or maybe someone that's going to be a backup big. But curious to get your take. Yeah, I agree with you there. I've always thought if there is a weakness on this team and we're nitpicking, they could use a little bit more depth in the front court and the back court. Wing depth, I mean, guys who can defend, and I know Andre Iguodala is a champion, and he knocked down a big shot, I think, in Game 2 in the finals last season against the Toronto Raptors. But if they can get him, fine. I know they have a, a one open roster spot. I don't know if they have to trade for him. Would that be a good move? I've heard people say Mo Harkless, they could give him up in the trade. I don't see why they would do that. All indications from what we've seen with the Clippers and the way they've operated the last two seasons. You know, they don't make these reactionary moves like this where they'd have to trade or give up a lot for a player like Andre Iguodala on a team that already has a ton of heart, a ton of grittiness, and a lot of defense now with superstars. If they can get him, 
fine. He's more than welcome. I think he would be a good clipper. And other people have reported, you know, they're doing it so he doesn't go to the Lakers, but they'd have to open up another roster spot. I it's it's murky waters with this news regarding Andre Iguodala, and I know it means a lot on social media now when Doc Rivers favorites something, and I'm sure a lot of guys on the team would like to have him uh, as a Clipper. But whether or not it happens, if it does, great. If it doesn't, they're fine. They they don't need a lot on the margins right now, but I do think those two areas you brought up at the beginning, maybe a possible backup point guard or a big like Noah if he's healthy, I think those are more of needs for the Clippers right now. Yeah, I think they need somebody that's going to be a rebounder to help out the big man zoo in the middle. Um, obviously, you have a lot of small ball lineups that you can go to. Iguodala is a tremendous player. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this guy has been there. He has proven he can win. He would be a great leader in that locker room. The one thing is they do have a lot of veterans already, so they have that leadership. It's not like they're looking for somebody to help be that final piece, someone that's going to be in the locker room and help everybody out. I mean, they have Beverly. They have Lou Williams. They now have Kawhi. You have PG. You have guys who have been in the league for a while, so I don't really think you need that guy in Igudala, and it seems like a very un-Clippers move to just get somebody so they could block the Lakers. I just feel like that's not something the Clippers are worried about right now. You already have DeMarcus Cousins. That's a big problem for the Lakers, both on and off the court. And then LeBron gets hurt. If Davis gets hurt, then the Lakers are really an afterthought. It just doesn't seem like that's a move they would make. But obviously, when you, you see the smoke, there's possibly fire. I don't know. It's weird because apparently there's been some take that maybe he would be more of a ball handler. I'm not sure that makes a lot of sense either. Do you think he could possibly be someone that could handle the ball off the bench? Again, when you have guys in Landry Shamit, you know, he was a playmaker at Wichita State. If he is more in that role with the Clippers this season, I agree. I, I don't see it. But they have a couple other bigs also in Kawhi Leonard or wing players and Paul George that can also bring the ball up that aren't traditional point guards now. So if Andre Iguodala, and you kind of nailed it there, normally a team brings a guy in like this to be that glue veteran presence for a locker room that is lacking uh, some of the attributes he can add. I don't see that very much with the Clippers, but he wouldn't hurt in that regard either. So while he's not as much of a need on the court, if they do get him, he's not going to hurt them in that role. But I still feel like with getting Patrick Patterson, uh, in some ways they're similar players as well. And I know a lot of people talked about Patrick Patterson being washed. I don't see that. He's still only 30. He's much younger than Iguodala. And before last season, and playing next to Russell Westbrook's not easy, but before last season, he had shot, I think, the last five years about 38% from three. So you have a bunch of three and D-like defenders. The one big thing you get with Andre Iguodala, though, is a lot of playoff experience, a lot of championship experience. If the Clippers make the move, it's not going to be a bad one, but it can only, I guess, strengthen the strength. But they have a few minor weaknesses that I would think they'd focus on more right now. And here's my biggest problem, is that if you bring in a guy like Iggy, whose spot does he take in the rotation? Because that's something that you'll have to watch, because we've talked about throughout the entire summer, how are the Clippers going to close games? It's obviously going to depend on the matchup and go game to game. But if you have PG and Kawhi on the floor, where are you going to put Iguodala? Are you going to put him maybe as a stretch four or someone that maybe is going to be a two? Obviously, he's versatile. In today's NBA, there really is no position. But 
I think you'd rather have guys like Beverly out there, maybe somebody like Trez that's going to be out there at the end of the game if you need that. I'd be curious to see whose spot he would take. If he were to sign with the Clippers, where do you think he would fit in a closing lineup? Uh, if they had their own death lineup with Andre Iguodala, would they have Patrick Beverly out there with him at the two and then Kawhi and PG and Montrez Harrell? But then you're lacking Lou Williams, who obviously is one of the best closers the last two years. He was top five in fourth quarter scoring in the league. It's uh, an embarrassment of riches in some way with how good the Clippers could be at the end of games. They were second in offensive efficiency in the last five minutes with a game within five points last season, and defensively, an area they're not good for most of the game, but then they ramp things up at the very end. Look, Doc Rivers will find a position for him, and it may just be sparse minutes here and there or set plays where you have Andre Iguodala out there to try to be a threat from the perimeter and try to open up some more floor spacing. If if there's a there's a way to do it, Doc Rivers is the right guy, and Rex Kalamian and them will figure things out. But you're right; it, it's not a pressing need for the Clippers. It's it would be nice to have him, but uh, if they don't get him, you know, this is a team that's stacked already. Yeah, we've been trying to figure out what the deal is with Lou and where he's going to fit at the end of the game because this past Clippers team is one that needed Lou Williams to score late in games because they didn't really have anybody you could go to. But now, of course, you bring in Kawhi, you bring in PG, and all of a sudden, you've got two guys you can go to late in games, and you know Lou Williams is not known for his defense. So if you put him on the bench and let those two other guys go at it, you can get a little more defense on the floor, whether it be a Landry Shamit that showed he could guard a guy like Steph Curry during the playoffs. Or maybe bring in very a, good. or maybe bring in another big, a Jermichael Green or something like that. That's what'll be interesting to see. And I think this Clippers team, you really don't know where they're going to go in any direction once they start the season. They have so many different guys that can play different positions. That'll be the probably the toughest task for Doc Rivers. And he did a hell of a coaching job last year. I think this year will be an interesting coaching job for him in just ways of where is he going to put people. I think that will be the most interesting thing to see. Yeah, it's a good problem to have when you have this many when you have uh, this many toys to play with if you're a head coach and you have multiple guys who have proven it in the fourth quarter. But now when you add superstars like PG and Kawhi Leonard, they're going to be taking most of the big shots. But I also think the Clippers are going to be one of those teams that – you know, they're not going to settle for bad hero ball-like shots. It's hard to do that with Kawhi Leonard because he can get his shot up over anyone, but they're still going to take best shot available, and there should be some more open looks out there. There will be more open looks out there than we've seen from players who weren't as efficient before, like Lou Williams at times in his career. He can be a little bit more selective. So whether or not he's, you know, I would imagine they're going to find a place for him matchup-wise to be out there. But you bring up Jermichael Green, and I think he started the last three games against the Golden State Warriors and shot like 50% from three. He's very versatile on the defensive end. He can rebound. He's kind of a unique player. I was surprised the Clippers were able to retain him for just $4 million or whatever it was. But there's one more guy they have to find minutes for and at the end of games. But Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, that connection, because Montrez and Lou work together so well in the pick and roll, and you want Montrez out there at the end of games, 
uh, will Lou be his partner in crime still? I think Doc Rivers is well-suited to find a way for him or find a position for him out there because two years ago, remember, as good as Doc was last season getting them to 48 wins, I actually thought two years ago when they had 37 different starting lineups and they got 42 wins out of that team, that might have been Doc Rivers' best coaching job where he really maximized the talent. Yeah, anyone that wants to go after Doc Rivers for his coaching and his lack of wins perhaps with his Clippers team and him not able to go to the finals with that Lob City group, man, he is proving that he is a Hall of Fame coach just with what he's had to deal with over the last several years. Um, You go all the way back, obviously, to the Sterling stuff and how he became the spokesperson for the team and how he became not only a coach but a friend and a man and a father-like figure to some of these guys. I mean, he is somebody that... And an actual father figure to one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Damn yeah. right. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. I mean, it's just one of those things that he is a guy that just is at the top of the class. I mean, he really is one of the best coaches of all time. Yeah. And he's showing it with this team that may not have some of the biggest guys. Now they do. But he was able to get wins out of them. Speaking of Kawhi Leonard, I want to ask you this one because I've asked a couple of people and it's always fun to find out. Where were you when the news dropped on that Friday evening? I'm trying to think what I was watching at the time. Some stupid movie on TV. And like many people, I had the Woj alerts Mm -hmm. uh, set on my Twitter (laughs) account. But it was actually uh, Chris Haynes who broke the news first with Kawhi and then Woj backed that up and then also brought in that Paul George was coming to the Clippers. And I'll say this. Uh, nothing shocks me with this team and this organization after what they've proven to be able to do the last two seasons. They came out on the right side of trades where they were the ones giving up superstars and Blake Griffin and CP3, and they won both those trades. And that just doesn't happen. Uh, And even some of those guys who have moved on, like Tobias Harris, who at the time was the biggest coup they got out of Detroit for Blake Griffin, along with SGA, those players were valuable, and they moved on to bring in other players. So I, I'm i not shocked, but it was still an amazing night for Clipper Nation just because this kind of finalized uh, them being a destination franchise. This set that in stone. You're never going to be able to say again, same old Clippers. They have shed that old adage or phrase people would try to use to put them down. Think about this. Steve Ballmer's only been here for five years, and all the changes that have gone on and have transpired in such a positive way since then. They went from having the worst owner in North American sports to the richest owner, who likely is, I mean, he has to be in the discussion for one of the best owners now after this offseason. And just the way he delegates and doesn't get in the way and how he empowers people. This is the golden age, I've called it, of Clippers basketball, most likely is what they're entering right now. And maybe some of that started when they had Blake Griffin and drafted him in 2009. But what has happened since then, uh, it's always been a positive, or they've been in a positive direction. But now there's like some jet fuel behind that positivity, or they've sped up the uh, rebuild or reload or retool process by bringing in two superstars this summer. And I... I did freak out a little bit that night. I think it was, what, 10.54 p.m. West Coast time is yeah. when that, that Chris Haynes tweet 
uh, hit with uh, Kawhi coming to the Clippers, and then Paul George following that up. I mean, nobody saw that coming. No one had that information that there was any issue between him and the Thunder when he just re-signed with them this past season. Nobody could have saw that coming. Kawhi, that wasn't surprising at all. It was surprising that PG was coming with him, but it was kind of a two-for-one deal. Yeah, I was in Denver at the time, and like you, I had the uh, Woj tweet so that every single time he tweeted, I got that message sent to my phone, and I had fallen asleep that night in Denver, and I woke up about 6.30 or so. I'm like, ah, well, let's look at my phone, but I know if I look at my phone, I'm not going back to bed. I'm like, no, I'm doing it. I look, and all of a sudden, I got like 13 Woj uh, and Shams tweets and I'm like okay what happened and I look and I saw the Clippers thing and I just freaked out I mean it's one of those things where I've been a fan ever since 2000 when you obviously had McGetty and Quinn Richardson Elton Brand Darius Miles um, mm-hmm. Earl Boykins knuckleheads yep yep and then of course you had Earl Boykins and Eric Pietkowski Mike Dunleavy of course um, the head coach and Lionel Hall. Did you get Bobby Simmons in there, or was he 2002, 2003, somewhere? No, Bobby Simmons was in there. Bobby Simmons was there. Um, I think he went to Orlando eventually. I, I could be wrong, but I think he went there. Um, Orlando or Milwaukee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he became a journeyman, a swingman over there. Um, but it was obviously the height of being a Clippers fan was when that news dropped, and you really did see that the Clippers have transitioned into a team that is one that can win an NBA title, which you never would have thought during the Sterling era. Obviously, you got DJ, you got Blake and CP, you brought along, obviously, Doc Rivers eventually trading for him, and you thought that could be it. But clearly, you get a good owner in place, and not even good owner, an amazing owner in place in Steve Ballmer, what he has done. And boy, I'm excited for this team. I obviously have high hopes for this team. It's tough being in the position now where you need to win a championship to really make sure that this all was for a good reason because the last thing you want to do is lose a guy like Shea Gilders-Alexander and not win out of it, and you want to hold on to Kawhi and PG. But, I mean, you got to agree here. This is probably the best time to be a Clippers fan. And for you, I'm sure you're more excited than you ever have been to be covering this team. I have been very fortunate. Uh, I, I feel like I've been blessed a little bit the last couple of years getting to work with this organization because of how well they've treated me, the people I've been working with, Ralph Lawler, Brian Seaman. It has been a uh, magical ride, to use the cliche. But, you know, I was thinking about this, too, because the expectations are reset now. It is not about getting past the second round. It's about winning an NBA championship. And the only other time I can think of where the Clippers were favorites, like they are right now, is, and I hate to bring up this memory, but it was 2015 when they were up three games to one on the Houston Rockets, and they already knew they would be playing the Golden State Warriors in the next round, and the Clippers were the last team and are still the last team to beat the Golden State Warriors in a seven-game series in the Western Conference. So they were favorites for a couple nights when they were up 3-1 on the Houston Rockets before Josh Smith and Coy Brewer uh. and some unfortunate hot shooting <laughs> went against them. But now, you know, this is going to be their these expectations, and this is what they wanted. This is what they signed up for. This is what Steve Ballmer has always wanted for this team. And that's also what's interesting. 
when Steve Ballmer first came with his introductory press conference where he sounded like, you know, a WWF character up there and saying hardcore Clippers, hardcore, now this team feels like they have some of that attitude and the personality a little bit of Steve Ballmer with their grittiness, with their relentlessness, with uh, their passion. And some of the stuff, and obviously they're more talented than any Clippers team we've ever seen now on paper, but last season, getting 48 wins out of a team that didn't have an all-star, even though they weren't as talented as the Lob City era, I thought they maximized their talent more. And they had some of what was missing with big shots and clutch play with Lob City and unfortunate injuries that happened. That was a huge part of those playoff runs that went went awry. But this team has or had last season all that grittiness that I think Lob City was missing, and now they've matched that with two elite players that fit hand-in-glove with the personality that's already been established with this Clippers team the last couple of years. Yeah, you win 48 games with a team that doesn't really have a star and then you add two stars to that team that fit the identity of what that team was during the year they won 48 games. And it should be a match made in heaven. I think my only concern, obviously, is the injuries. Um, I am a little bit worried about Paul George in this shoulder. Uh, I would like to see him come back healthy. Hopefully that's the case. A little bit worried about Kawhi being somewhat on one leg during the last couple of rounds in the playoffs. Um, but still was obviously incredible. I think the load management thing is real, by the way. I know he said that he wants to play the entire season. I think that would be silly if he does play the entire season because really the focus is winning it all. I mean, that is now the focus. It is not going and becoming a top two seed, a top three seed. It is winning it all, and you want to do whatever it takes to make sure those guys are healthy. And I think I'm hoping – that that's what's going on with Paul George, that they're not rushing him back. They want him to take his time, knowing that if they wait and they bring him back when he's 120% healthy, then they'll be in good shape. Yeah, and that's what I think it is. They're being overly cautious, rightfully so, with Paul George, who he said this, I think, a month before. I think this was in June. He put out a tweet where he said, both shoulders are good. I had the surgery. I'm feeling good. But He's also said now he's going to wait till he's 100%. And they have the luxury to be able to do load management with him and Kawhi Leonard because they've already proven they can win with these guys that are already there. And I know they're missing Danilo Gallinari now and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. But they can get by with 60 to 65 games from... Kawhi Leonard and Paul George this season. And like you said, you may have sacrificed some regular season wins, but you're doing it for postseason success. It, that's That has to be the ultimate goal. And they've already had somewhat of a template and a blueprint out there of how to do it with Kawhi Leonard because of how Toronto treated him last season. So even if he is 100%, and he feels good, and he's moving better than he did in the playoffs last season. And you're right, a lot of people forgot he still wasn't 100%. He was the MVP. He averaged 30 points per game throughout that playoff run, and he still wasn't completely right. And I know the Golden State Warriors had injuries, and they probably do win that series if Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant are both healthy. But for Kawhi Leonard to be that good, and for him now to say at his introductory press conference that, 
uh, I'm looking to be 100% and be able to play the whole season, that still is very encouraging. But my guess, even if he is feeling that good, he's still probably going to play 70 to 75 regular season games. He'll still get some breaks. Before we get into uh, you and your background, curious to get your take on where this team finishes because you obviously have those two injuries like we just spoke about and the need to get everyone healthy going into the playoffs. I've talked about how they'll probably end up close to a three seed if I had to guess. I think home court's going to matter, so I would not be surprised if they went from the two seed, Um, but curious to see what you think. I was actually looking at three seed. You just can't get below four because even if – Look, they can beat anybody. They can go on the road. They're that talented on paper, but you don't want to make it any more difficult than you have to because that can pile up having to play an extra game just because you didn't have home court advantage in the first round. There are a couple teams that I think could finish ahead of them that people aren't talking about enough, and that's the Utah Jazz and Denver Nuggets. I know Denver was second in the West last season. Utah tends to get off to slow starts, and they put themselves in a hole early, but come on late. I could see those two teams and the Los Angeles Lakers ahead of them. The Houston Rockets are in there, too, depending on how well things mesh with uh, Westbrook and James Harden. But I can't see the Clippers falling past four, and I think there will be some concern or there will be uh, a little bit of motivation to make sure that doesn't happen, and guys, you know, have to if they have to play a little bit uh, bigger minutes down the stretch of the regular season to lock up home court in the first round, they'll be able to do that. But the West is it's brutal. It's a gauntlet like it always is, and they beat each other up. And I think it's going to be ten teams for eight spots again. But the Clippers are going to find themselves at the top half of those eight spots for sure. And I think I'm with you. If I had to predict, I'd say three. I'd say the three seed is likely. Yeah, let's not forget that this team was very close to going after that five seed at one point at the end of last year. I mean, it, it was. Oh yeah, they it, lost three of their last four games. That Laker game hurt them, mm-hmm. with Alex Caruso going on, uh, going off. Uh, I really thought if they had played Denver, and I I thought this even more so after I saw that first round series between them and uh, uh, who did they end up playing? San Antonio. Mm-hmm. If they could have played Denver, if they could have played Portland. They would have beat either of those teams, yeah, I agree. and they would have given Houston a run for their money. The Houston would have had some issues with them and Patrick Beverly and all the uh, <laughs> the drama, I guess you'd have with him playing his old team and going after James Harden. I I really think the Clippers were that good, and they proved it by taking the Golden State Warriors to six games, and the Golden State Warriors were fully loaded then. And Kevin Durant had to drop 50 in that game six to put them away. So they were peaking at the right time, but they just stumbled a little bit losing three or four down the stretch after I think they had the best record in uh, March of last season. But, uh, yeah, that, they were close to getting past the first round and upsetting. To me, they would have upset Denver. They just, they just weren't ready. They shouldn't have gone seven games with San Antonio. They played down to their talent level with inexperience. And I think Portland, they got to the Western Conference Finals. I get it, but they were they were very fortunate. I the Clippers would have been a big problem for any team outside of the Golden State Warriors. But I think that was a blessing in disguise because that taught them you have to play almost perfect. You're going to go against what I think is the best team in NBA history, most likely, in the Golden State Warriors. That's a, that's a teaching lesson. That's something they'll never forget, having to go up against the best. And 
and having a 31-point comeback that will always give them confidence no matter how many points they're down moving yeah. forward. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it really made some sense um, to obviously face off against a team like Golden State and give these guys a sense of what the playoffs are like. Um, but yeah, this team, I mean, was the one seed for the beginning of the year. For a while, everyone was talking about the Clippers and saying, is it for real? Is it for real? Is it not for yeah. real? And then it, it was for real. This team was in the playoff picture the entire season. And like I said, almost got that five seed. But I, I think it's realistic that they could end up with that three this year. I think it's important to get either the two or the three seed just based on home court advantage. Um, although they showed they could win a couple of games at Golden State, so it doesn't really matter going on the road. And I, clearly, Kawhi doesn't care about where he plays. I mean, he just had some big time games on the road during the playoffs. But nonetheless, I think, you, like you said, it'd be nice to have a top four seed and, and get that advantage going forward. All right, let's talk about you, man. Uh, uh, you are somebody that everyone could hear in the pregame, halftime, postgame show on AM570. You are a somewhat fresh face at least during the pregame, postgame, and halftime show. But you've been around AM570 for a while. Talk to me about your journey a little bit. You know, I was an intern back in 2009 at AM570 LA Sports. And uh, at the time, I was a fan of the station because I became like a fanboy of the Petros and Money show. Those are my guys. And, and I had aspirations to just be their producer someday. I thought that would be uh, the best thing in the world, or that would be my dream job. And then as I went along here, they started a, kind of an online radio station, AM570 Raw. It was on their iHeartRadio app. And so I started to get some reps in broadcasting-wise, and I started working with Kevin Figures here, who uh, is the producer of Rogan and Rodney and AM570, and uh, we became friends, and we started doing a podcast, the FNA podcast, and then since then, I started to have uh, bigger goals of trying to get on the air here at AM570, and the Clippers thing, like a lot of it just fell in my lap. I got really lucky. I was producing it, working with James Coe the first year they came to 570. And Coe is a friend of mine. He's doing fantasy football stuff now. You've seen him on the NFL Network and whatever. But he would bring me on post-game all the time uh, on Clippers talk. And so I got a lot of experience through that. And then just when you're around Ralph Lawler and Brian Seaman, you can only get better. <laughs> so I've been extremely fortunate, very blessed uh, the past couple years, and also because this is the easiest team to uh, get to work for because of the way they play, because they just make your job easy. There's never an issue of guys not going hard and fielding a bunch of phone calls of why this team only has 20 wins and, and uh, you know, this guy should be fired, this player should be let go, all that stuff. So I've, uh, I've been here at, at the right time. I've been lucky. But, uh, yeah, it has been a crazy journey. Did you go to school for broadcasting or uh, anything to do with radio? I was a kinesiology major, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which had me on the track to go into physical therapy school. But then after four years of college and racking up debt, you start to think, Do, if I'm going to go on to further school, get into more debt, 
I have to know this is it. This is going to be my job for the rest of my life. And I just didn't have enough of a passion for working in sports medicine and stuff like that. But once in a while, I see like microfracture surgery articles and I read those. And I do still have like an interest in that field just a little bit from talking about guys and injuries and so many of my favorite players getting injured over the years. I have bad luck. If I love a player like Penny or C-Webb or Antonio McDice, <laughs> they end up having some catastrophic injury. I'm not saying it's my fault, but damn it. <laughs> I've seen way too many of my favorite players go down. So, yeah, that that was me in college. I had no idea I was going to get into this field, but that's how everyone is in college. Like, you're going through this. What was the un- the old show, uh, Judd Apatow show with Adam Sandler, Undeclared or something like that on Fox? Mm-hmm. That's how everybody feels nowadays, us damn millennials. We're too indecisive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny because you bring up the injury thing. I was actually at the game where Sean Livingston got hurt, and it was oh my just goodness. devastating. He was already became one of my favorite Clippers because of obviously the comparisons to Magic Johnson and the player that he was going to possibly become. And then obviously SGA came along and you're like, oh, this could be another guy that's like Sean Livingston and Magic. This is really exciting. And then of course they trade him. So so that's obviously <laughs> a little disheartening, but nonetheless, you, I, you get Kawhi Leonard I did Leonard love that George. comparison though. That was fun. We only had SGA here for a year. But uh, getting to watch him just grow in that time to the point he made the biggest pass in Clippers history, maybe that pass to Shea Gilgis out or to uh, Landry Shamit for the three pointer in Game Two. Like I, I will always love SGA. Even the guys that are gone, yeah. that's how good the culture has been here. Like you fall in love with them, Toby and Bobby. I, I, I treat or I was treating Philadelphia like Clippers East mm-hmm. this past season. I was rooting for them in the East. I also thought if they took out the Toronto Raptors, there was a better chance for uh, Kawhi Leonard would leave, and so that was part of my angle. But uh, it worked out anyways. But but yeah, I just the players they've had the last couple seasons, ha- finally having like-minded players that get along and elevate each other in a way that for some reason Lob City wasn't able to do. That's been a joy to watch too. Have you were you an LA native or are you an LA native rather? Like have you been someone that's been here rooting for the Clippers and Lakers during during your entire life or did you come from somewhere else? I've been down here since 2003. I was actually a Okay, I started off as a big Laker fan when I was very young. So did I. So that's okay. So did I. <laughs> so did I. And I was a Kobe. I was a Shaq over Kobe guy. So then, obviously, when that happened, that's why I kind of drifted towards the Clippers. Oh, don't get me started on. I mean, I'm known as being a Kobe hater or Kobe truther with all my analytics pools of how bad Kobe has been in the clutch throughout his career. Because I, I grew up in Sacramento, right? So the, in the early 2000s, you had the Kings Lakers rivalry going on, and I was a huge Kings fan after being a Magic Johnson fan when I was younger before that. But I just didn't like Kobe and Shaq, so I jumped off the Lakers. My Kings fandom was always there, living in Sacramento, but they were never good till they brought in C Webb and had Jason Williams and Rick Adelman and all that. So I was always rooting against the Lakers. So uh, it makes it very easy to get to work for the Clippers because you know in 2006 I was hoping they met up in that second round because I thought Elton Brand and Sam Cassell, who I love, I thought they'd beat the Lakers and they probably would have. 
Uh, and this could be the first year we finally get that hallway series that has avoided us for so long. Yeah, you know, I think it was the Suns was the one. That, the Suns prevented that because I think the Clippers beat the Nuggets in yeah. the first round. Um, and they then, beat them in, yeah, I think five games. Yeah. The Suns beat the Lakers in seven after Kobe and the Lakers were up 3-1, and then they beat the uh, Clippers in seven. Yeah, damn. That, that was a year. That, that, that really was a year where they had a chance. But now, all of a sudden, you're at a year where you obviously have a big chance. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where it seems surreal to have guys like Kawhi and Paul George on your team, but then you look and you're like, all right, that, that actually is a thing. And there are such high expectations for this team. I'm kind of frightened. Uh, is, is that? Do you think that's normal to be frightened because you obviously are you're a team that this is uncharted territory yes. for Clipper Nation. Yes, there's some trepidation. They they haven't been the hunted like this before, ever. <laughs> so it's only natural, but you're going to get used to it pretty darn quick. <laughs> it's not going to take long to adjust because I think the Clippers, even without Paul George, if he's out the first month of the season, uh, as long as Kawhi Leonard is looking as good as he expects to be, as healthy as he says he's going to be, they're going to be elite, like right away. Uh, And I haven't looked too much at their early schedule. I try not to go too far down that path. I know the first preseason game, I think, is in Honolulu or something against the Rockets on October 2nd. But uh, they're going to uh, have more national attention and more media interest than they've ever had but it's a good thing because they have the right guys that can handle it that aren't going to be distractions either. So this culture culture that they fostered over the last couple of years and to pair that with these two superstars, that's what's just so interesting. It's going to be a seamless fit. I've never seen anything like that where you bring in two guys that even when like Miami put the heatles together, like it's not like LeBron and Dwayne Wade were perfect fits next to one another. They were so talented, they could win anyways. But this is something where the chemistry, uh, it should continue and carry over from last season with just way more elite talent. Yeah. Are you going to have a going away party for Brian? Obviously, YouTube creates some memories over these last couple of years. And now uh, <laughs> the, the, the rumor that's yet to be confirmed by the Clippers, but is all but confirmed that he's going over to the TV side. Are you guys going to have a little goodbye? Because I'm sure it's sad because you guys are you guys formed a nice relationship on air. It's always fun. You're calling him B. You guys got that close. And now, of course, he's going to be leaving you for TV. I always think there's been some resentment for him, for me calling him B all these years. But no, Brian, Brian Seaman is my friend. He's the best. We're still, I think, going to get to work together a little bit here and there. Maybe if the Clippers are on national TV and not on Fox Sports West, he would move down to radio or deep in the playoffs. I have no idea how that's going to work. But I tend to at least uh, eat next to him and have him fat shame me all the time and call me carb face Adam <laughs> because I tend to eat like three peanut butter and jelly, those pre-made smuckers sandwiches, the Uncrustables, I think they call them. Yep. Between like the third and fourth quarter, I throw those down because I got to have some energy for the post-game show. And Brian just gives me the look, the dirtiest look, because – I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, but Brian is the most picky eater on earth. Yes, he fact. is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He eats. He eats his burger. He doesn't like fries. peanut butter. <laughs> Who doesn't like peanut butter? I sound like Jerry Seinfeld, but come on, what's the deal with that? Yeah, peanut butter is the best thing on earth. Let's be real. And then here's the real question: Do you get the froyo from the machine? Because that is on point in the press room. Um, 
Only when I work out hard that night, and then I'll throw some, like, gummy bears on top, and, yeah, I'll do the Neapolitan or at least the chocolate vanilla mix. Uh, yeah, I, no, I do. I do. We have to take advantage of the free food, okay? Oh, absolutely. The radio absolutely. doesn't always pay that much. Absolutely. That's the goal. I mean, I go there, and when I've been able to be lucky enough to get that press pass, and uh, I'm getting that froyo. Don't you worry. I'm getting that froyo. And then, oh, they got some good food there, too. Now I miss it. Oh, man. Now I got to get lunch because it, it, now I'm hungry. But, man, this you, has been You awesome. know how when you first get to college and they give you, like, the freshman 15 or something like that? Yes. That's what happens to broadcasters when you have that cafeteria, media area, and all this free food. I think I gained about 15 pounds the last over the last three years, so just five pounds a year. Five pounds a year. Uh, but, yeah, it's a, it's a struggle. You got to be careful. Yeah, it's true. I, I was in minor league baseball for three years, and I used to always get a ticket so I can get my free meal at night. So, obviously, it was ballpark food. So, you're eating chicken tenders, you're eating burgers, you're eating fries, and you know what? It happens. It, it's free food. You got to save money. You got to use money later on to buy a house and, you know, to, when you have a baby eventually. <laughs> so, you got to cut eventually you got to be able to just do a good idea, give me a good, good job of just grabbing, you know, that fatty food, just knowing what's ahead and where you need to put that money towards. But you know what? It happens. We're storing up for the winter, the hard times. Exactly. We've got a fat storage like a bear hibernating. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man, this has been awesome. Um, I am very much looking forward to having you on throughout the season. If, uh, if you are willing, because this has been a fantastic conversation. Go ahead, tell everybody where they can find you and what you want to promote. Uh, I'm at follow Adam A on Twitter. You can that's like my umbrella where everything else can be found. But basically, fnapodcast.com is another place to go. We do two shows a week, myself and Kevin Figures here at AM570 LA Sports. We usually end up having Petros Papadakis on one time a week during the college football season. He just came on with us uh, yesterday as everybody came back from Labor Day. But, uh, yeah, at follow Adam May on Twitter. Get to me there, and then you can find everything else. I have one question. What? How sad is Petros right now about USC? Because I'm a USC alum. I know that he's not. Not at all. He's not? <laughs> Don't you know Petros is the most hated former USC player? Yeah. Like, he was captain of the worst USC football team. He says that all the time. Yeah. And he's been most critical of USC, of all the broadcasters in Los Angeles, and the Trojan family doesn't like that, even though he's been proven right time and time again. But uh, his USC brethren, and, you know, he doesn't consider himself, uh, you know, working for USC or anything like that. He's an objective media member, so he's got to tell it like it is. But I think, he, you know, he thought that they were going to be in trouble this season, even before uh, JT Daniels went down, unfortunately. Oh, man. Petros is the best. You can catch them, obviously. PMS. Tremendous job. Money has been on uh, my other podcast before. He's a tremendous dude as well, like you mentioned, James Coe, too. Um, But, yeah, this has been great, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on throughout the season. And uh, goodbye, I guess. Thank you and goodbye. All right, Brandon. Thank you uh, anytime, man. Just uh, reach out to me. All right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Boy, Adam Oslin, my first time ever talking to him, and that was – a tremendous conversation. That will not be the last time we have him on. Don't you worry about that. He is a guy that is connected to the team. He is right there. He is watching every single game. He will be on this Hoopball Clippers podcast throughout the year. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at BD Marcus. The show is at Hoopball Clips on Twitter. There's also at Hoopball Fantasy. And of course, 
as all podcasts on HoopBall, are presented by Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee. Get yourself some of that coffee. I'm not a big coffee drinker because, frankly, I can't have it. But I know it is tremendous, and Amazon ships it out to you. If you need coffee, Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee is the place to go. We'll be back next week. Until then, this has been another presentation of HoopBall Clippers. I'm Brandon Marcus saying so long, and have a fantastic rest of your day, everybody. This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.